0: Hello and welcome to Marysville Church of Christ podcast my name is Bishop Darby and I'll be your host today so it's time that we tackle the granddaddy of them all one that I have gotten sent in more than eight times just in the last two and a half weeks a question that has been thrown around by atheists skeptics and Christians alike Why did God command the genocide of the Canaanites? For those of you who are not familiar with the story, we're going to delve more into it next week. But this week, I would like to offer you just a couple of passages, Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 20, and others, where we see this command being seen. God telling the Israelites to destroy the Canaanites with no mercy. Every man, every woman, every child, to put to death by the sword. To be honest with you, if you're anything like me, those commands ring at a dissonant chord with passages like God is the Father of Lights, from which from whom every good and perfect gift comes, James one seventeen. Or in First John, when John writes that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, it seems to ring a dissonant chord with passages like, Be merciful, as your Father in heaven is merciful. It doesn't seem to fit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. See, how can we say simultaneously that God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and also, out of our mouth, claim that God is the one who kills men, women, and children. There's a reason that these passages for centuries have caused so many people to fall away. Now, I'm not going to be able to do it justice in one podcast, so I'm not even going to try. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be going to this topic The Promised Land is what we're going to call it. So 20 questions, The Promised Land. I think as of now it'll be four parts, each one about eight to ten minutes long, as we try to parse our way through this very difficult thing. But if you stick with me, if you stick with me, I promise you the explanation I give you will offer you an answer that that allows you to look at God as truly and utterly beautiful. But to start, I'd like us to do two things. First, I'm going to invite you to do something that you'll never hear a preacher say. I want you to embrace the ugly. I want you to wrap your arms around the ugly. In order, in my opinion, which, as a disclaimer, this whole podcast is my answer to this question. But in my opinion, one of the most dangerous things we as Christians can do is become hypocritical. If we read these words from Deuteronomy in the Quran, it would further cement often the negative, pejorative ideas that we develop about Islam. And yet when it's in our own holy book, we bypass it. We justify it. We whitewash it. It's not fair of us to criticize other people's holy books for passages that our holy book contains. We have to embrace the ugly. In fact, in my opinion, the only way to truly find beauty in this mess is to acknowledge that it is indeed a mess. The bloodshed of men and women and children, bodies littering the plain and blood soaking into the ground, none of these images are glorious or righteous or merciful. The images that we so associate with our God. And though over the next couple of weeks we'll we'll tackle this, And we'll make light of it, make understanding of it. But I want right now for us to embrace the dissonance, embrace the ugly, because the only way we'll get through this is if we're honest. Second, I'd like us to camp out today on the idea of the Bible. Now, I know it seems unrelated, but if you'll be patient with me, I promise you over the next couple of weeks, this lesson will be so, this answer will be so pivotal. So the Bible, <clears throat> the Bible is a reflection in so many ways of God. See, it reflects the nature of God. And many Christians agree with this, though many Christians mis, uh, disagree on what that means. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrews writer writes, In many ways and in many means, God spoke in ancient times to our ancestors and the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us in his Son whom he appointed this son, as heir of all things, through whom, in addition, he created the worlds. He is the shining reflection of God's own glory, the precise expression of his own very being. And he sustains all things through his powerful word. So what we have here is an understanding that through centuries, God talked to people. Notice what it says at the beginning there of Hebrews chapter one, verse one. God talked in many ways, and by many means, too many people. God has always been a God of relationship. We see that in the Garden of Eden, at the inauguration of our time. God created man and woman in his image after his likeness for relationship. It's no surprise then that his holy scriptures is written in the form of relationship. God expressing ideas, people pinning them down. But God often has been hurt by relationships. And relationships aren't always perfect. And nowhere in the Bible has God forced a perfect relationship. When he and David were very close, he did not go in and change David's brain to be perfect. No, David still sinned. And David still messed up despite the closeness he had with God. Same with Moses. What about Abraham, a friend of God? He too, even in his close relationship, still missed some things and messed up some things. So it shouldn't surprise us then that every once in a while, this relational book between God and a human writer often sometimes carries the bias and misunderstandings of the human writer. Now, before you chase me down with pitchforks and torches, which I know many of you have already started grabbing, let me clarify. The holy scriptures are inspired by God and written by man. There is times where God gives us glimpses of this. For instance, when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, or 13. We aren't like Moses. He put a veil over his face to stop the children of Israel from gazing at the end of what was being abolished. The difference is that their minds were hardened. You see, the same veil lies over the reading, listen to this, of the Old Testament right up to this very day. It isn't taken away because it's in the Messiah thats that it is abolished. Yes, even to this day, Paul's reiterating here. Whenever Moses is read, the veil lies upon their hearts. Moses saw God and talked to God, as the scriptures say, face to face. And yet even Moses didn't fathom God perfectly. Had he fathomed God perfectly, how much would have been different in his life? You see, scriptures are dialectical. God-breathed, as the New Testament says, and breathed through people. That's why sometimes writers write things about God that simply are unflattering or fit culturally the the time. For instance, Asaph, one of the uh, chief high priests, he was in charge of music in the time of David, wrote several psalms that we have recorded for us in our holy text. And in scripture, he talks about things like God slaying the Leviathan, or God destroying Yom, ripping it open and that's where we get the dry ground. These are all references to Canaanite mythologies or Ugaritic texts that reference pagan gods such as Baal, Molech. And what's fascinating here is that God didn't strike Asaph dead Nor did God take out those psalms from the Bible. He allowed the the misconceptions of him to live and breathe actively beside the perfect conception of him in Christ. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we have several depictions of this. For instance, some of what we call the imprecatory psalms in which David pins horrific things about how God enjoys the blood of the dead and he enjoys slaying the wicked or smashing babies against rocks. Blessed is he who smashes the babies against the rocks. These depictions of God are not accurate. They are misconceptions of what David thought God was. And yet God didn't correct David, nor did he go through and try to force David to grasp it all at once, but rather was patient with David. Never coercing, just gently guiding him to truth until ultimately he could reveal every, to everyone who he was through Jesus. This doesn't mean that the Old Testament is folly, or bad, or broken. No, it serves the exact purpose God designed it for. For God designed the Old Testament to be our love story, penned by the inspiration of God and the hands of the broken party. There are times in the Old Testament where this comes to a fever pitch. For instance, the same story told by the Chronicler and Samuel, in which David counts a census. In Samuel's text, Samuel writes that the Lord incited David to the sens- to sin, to the census. But later, the Chronicler comes along and is looking at the same story and says, "Surely, surely, what we have since learned about God." Since we understand him more fully now, we know that he would never tempt David. He replaces that word with another word, Satan, the adversary. Do you notice how over the course of hundreds of years, the perspective of God changed? From a broken depiction to a more complete depiction. And we see in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews doing this quite frequently, going back to Old Testament stories referencing what the people thought and correcting it. For instance, in Exodus 12, it sure seems that God is the one going house to house, killing the firstborn of the Egyptians. And yet in Hebrews, it's not God, it's a destroying angel, a word often associated with a demonic force. Vastly different. See, we have to be aware when we're reading Scripture that we are not just reading the inspired words of God, but especially in the Old Testament, we're reading the perspective and the bias of the Israelites who wrote it. And this actually unlocks a beautiful thing, because in this way, Scripture reflects God perfectly. You see, the clearest depiction we have of God in the entirety of the Scriptures is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, as Paul says. So the picture of Jesus on the cross... That, in that one snapshot, is the most accurate depiction of God that we have to look at. And in that depiction of God, we see Christ bearing our sins, our failures, our misconceptions, and our pride. Is it any surprise, then, that Scripture, too, bears the weight of our failures of our pride and of our misconceptions I'd like you to consider how an inspired text actually exemplify is exemplified by the broken people in their perspective the book of Psalms has a lot to say on the subject In Psalms chapter 18, verse 26, the psalmist writes, To the pure you show yourself pure, but with the crooked you show yourself shrewd. We often come to God with our presuppositions and our preconceived notions, and often filter God through our culture and our context. Though many of us try not to, we can't help it to some degree. It's no different with Moses, or David, or any of the Old Testament writers as they're writing what they can, trying to understand spiritual truths without the the decoder ring of Christ. See, before Christ, it was impossible for anyone to truly know God, and so they were doing their best with what they had to try to put together pictures of him, often wrong or incomplete. And that's why Hebrews 1 is there to remind us. But now, we have the shining reflection of God's own glory, the precise expression of his own being. He revealed it for us. That's what Paul was talking about at the end of that uh, 1 Corinthians 3 passage. He says this, Now the Lord, here means the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, without any veil on our face, gaze at the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. We now have Jesus. Jesus and so we can see clearly. I think it's going to play a part into what we're going to read. And I think it's going to play a huge part for us understanding the story. You see Moses grew up in a time and context which the gods were defined by military valor and conquest and people took land not by peace but by war. He was for all intents and purposes part of an empire, the Egyptian empire known And renowned for their military force and he was shaped by his early experiences and exposure to war he writes this book though inspired by God broken by the world and as is the case anywhere in Scripture we must be careful to accept any portrait or depiction of God that does not reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because as Hebrews 1 says, that, that one singular snapshot, is indeed the most beautiful and accurate representation of God anywhere. The cross is not one revelation amongst many equal revelations, but the supreme revelation by which all others must fall down. Let's be careful as we begin this study to remember the dialectical nature of Scripture, the sin-bearing nature of His Holy Word, the sin-bearing nature of a sin-bearing God's sin-bearing Scripture. And let us always remember to keep Jesus as the key interpretive lens of Scripture. Next week, we'll pick up jumping into the text We'll be looking at some passages if you'd like to read ahead. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 through 31. And we'll begin to see God's initial command and how God's initial command and desire was quickly corrupted by the Israelite leaders, the Hebrew leaders, and how they quickly devolved from God's ideal to human tendency.